What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome back inside the Locker Room Studios for this very special simulcast of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com and presented by Hameen Media. Rick and I are here today with the biggest guest that we've had on the show as of yet, a man who needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway, the former head of WCW, the co-host of 83 Weeks, Easy e Mr. Eric Bischoff. Mr. Bischoff, thank you very much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Mr. Bischoff, Rick Vickery here. I just want to say you know, thank you for your time. It is an absolute honor and privilege to have you here on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast with us. Uh, Mr. Bischoff, let's kind of start off at the beginning here. You found your way into the business, at least as far as I know of, uh, right around the 1989-1990 in the old AWA, where you were there until 1991. Uh, at that time, the territories were still a bit in, in effect. Uh with that kind of territory system in place, could you guys have imagined the talent getting together and throwing a Supercard show like this? I, I know Supercard was around, but the talent actually coming together to throw an event like All In and StarCast? Well, actually, I started uh, with the AWA in 1987. I didn't end up on camera until, I think, 88 or 89. So I had been with AWA for a couple of years uh, before I went to WCW. And... Actually, Vern Gagne, uh, Bob Geigel, um, a few others, uh, World Class Championship Wrestling, uh, Jared Jarrett, uh, were involved in something, I don't want to say similar, but it, it, it was in some respects. Uh, back then, of course, the AWA went away, and then the independent scene kind of floundered for a long time. Um, but I could not have foreseen, you know, one independent group putting on an event that drew 10,000 people and sold out in less than a half an hour. That that I would have never imagined back then, and I certainly would not imagine it, you know, imagined it throughout, you know, the 90s and and even up until a couple of years ago. Really, literally, I didn't I, I didn't think it would happen. Even when I read about it, I was shocked about it. I mean, it's it's an amazing accomplishment that the Bucks and, and Cody and everybody involved put together. Obviously, their their business sense is what has really set them apart inside of the world of independent wrestling. Was there any kind of a group like that back at that time that you could see going out and trying to put on their own kind of show? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And there aren't, at least I don't have the words really to articulate just how proud I am of them, meaning Cody in the box. Uh, it's it's amazing to me, you know, and it says a lot about the independent scene. It says a lot about the ability now to access streaming platforms that they're going to access on Fight TV. Um, there's just so many things about this event that to me, given what I've been through in the industry in the almost last 30 years, I, I really can't articulate just what an amazing job these guys have done. They're smart. They've got guts. They, they took a big risk, not only financially, but, you know, they went on a limb and said that they were going to do something that nobody believed they could do, and they did it. And I just, I admire them so much. If they were my own kids, I'd, I'd cry. <laughs> I'm so proud of them. We've talked many times here on the Hating Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast about distribution. Uh, of course, in your heyday, Mr. Bischoff, 
You know, it was the era of the Monday Night Wars. Today, it's all on demand and streaming. From from a television perspective, it's completely changing the business, and not just you know for professional wrestling, but like I said, it was television as a whole. Is TV a platform worth trying to save, or is it you know time to move on, uh, move on in the world, and look for for other forms of revenue and look at the next source of of that income, you know, especially for professional wrestling, and do you think? You know, is streaming really the answer? Well, uh, yes, yes, and more yes. You know, I'm still in the television business. I still create and produce uh, traditional television for traditional television outlets, cable and network and otherwise. But I will tell you that those traditional networks and platforms are struggling with the success of streaming because the audience now, not only is the audience more fragmented because there's just more ways to find free content, fragmented now because advertisers no longer need to depend on traditional television to reach you know the, the type of audiences that especially wrestling can reach you know wrestling is a very unique animal um, it's hard in a traditional television platform to attract the interest of traditional networks just because it is so unique you know it's not a sitcom it's not drama it's not action uh, it's it's not documentary. It's not the traditional categories that traditional television platforms look for. So the fact that streaming is now has evolved, guys like Cody and the Fox have found a way to exploit it, capitalize it, make it work. You know, not only is streaming the way to go, and not only am I struggling with it, but the entire industry of entertainment is struggling to keep up with, and in some cases, compete with the evolution of streaming. Yeah, I, I, of course, work for Sinclair Broadcasting, and we're seeing it in-house, of course, with uh, Circa News now. They've really been pushing that streaming platform, and at the local level, we're wondering how is this going to affect our business as they start to push more of that streaming platform as well. Exactly. News is a good example. You know, I, I haven't watched local news or even network news now for probably a decade. Uh, I've, I've really, I, I get most of my information um, up until recently on traditional cable outlets. Um, now with streaming, I find myself more and more um, not even watching cable news because there's just a bigger variety of news available on streaming platforms. And it's, to me, more interesting. It's not commercialized nearly as much. I think uh, one of the big things that we're wondering now is we don't know where the TV landscape is going to be five years from now. So let's just say, for the sake of argument, just taking the WWE as a current example, they, they just signed that new TV contract. When that TV contract dries up, Obviously, the option is there to move their shows to the network and just do the streaming platform. I guess my question is, is in the era of streaming, how do businesses create new business as the wrestling fan demographic seems to just keep increasing in median age? It's a good question, and I wish I had the answer to it. If I had the answer, and, and it was an answer that a lot of people were, even some people were willing to bet on, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. I'd be on my ocean. I'd 
be on my the beachfront property that I have somewhere on the North Shore of Hawaii. It's a valid answer. It's a very valid answer. Mr. Bischoff, you say controversy creates cash. In fact, it's a New York Times bestseller. Uh, and also, you know, content is king, which is one of your best-selling T-shirts. But self, you know, self-confidence, that has to be priceless. Uh, when you originally joined WCW, you were a C-Squad announcer. So I, I got to know, you know, what was your thought process behind applying for the executive producer's position over Rick, at WCW? Let me jump in here, too, a little bit. What was the thought process and betting on yourself, much like Cody and the Bucks have done now when you applied for the executive producer position at WCW? Well, it's hard for me to really comment on that because I don't know the process that Cody and the Bucks went through and, 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 and how they arrived at their decisions. You know, for me, you know, I was in a, I was in a no-lose situation. Um, I had already made up my mind, quite honestly, to leave WCW when the executive producer opportunity came you know, along. And I thought, what the hell? I've got nothing to lose. You know, I'm as good as anybody else. You know, if anybody can do it, I can do it. Um, and I was willing to throw caution to the wind. And, and as you say, bet on myself or take the risk. So I, I would imagine some variation of that sensibility or that emotion was probably one of, at least I would like to think, it was probably one of the, the, the driving forces between the box and, and Cody. So I guess perhaps... Uh, you would have to ask them. But for me, you know, it was a situation where, like you said, you know, I had an opportunity to bet on myself. I was sort of fearless at that point uh, to a degree, but I also had nothing to lose. It made that easier for me. Let's turn our attention to the events that we're, uh, we're here to talk about. Of course, StarCast and All In. Uh, Thursday night, you will be on a panel with Mr. Bruce Pritchard and your co-host of 83 Weeks, Conrad Thompson, during the Monday Night Wars debate. We got a little bit of a taste of this on uh, Table for Three on the WWE Network with your mutual friend JBL. What do people expect from this show? Is it going to be more of the same of what we saw on the network, or do you expect it to be... I guess unfiltered would be the uh, appropriate way to phrase the question. You know, I think it will be, it was pretty unfiltered. The table for three was fairly unfiltered. You know, we, I think Bruce in particular, myself uh, and JBL, all of us were aware that we were on a WWE platform. Right. And to, to a certain extent, we had to be a little more civilized than we might otherwise be. <laughs> Um, at least we tried to be. But look, I've, I've been in these situations with Bruce in the past, and here's the good news for our new fans that will be there at that event. Bruce and I are very good friends. You know, I, I, I don't have a lot of friends, to, to, to be honest about it. Um, I'm not a social animal. I live out in nowhere, Wyoming. I don't stay in touch with that many people, and, and I prefer it that way. And Bruce, because of my lifestyle, uh, is one of a small, small handful of friends. You count the number of close friends I have on one hand and have plenty of fingers left over to do other shit. But given that we're friends, we both know that regardless of what we say um, Thursday night, we're still going to be friends when it's over. We both have very thick skin. He's got a very clear perspective of his point of view and he sees what went on in the Monday Night Wars, as he should, because he lived it on his side of that, that front, that battle line, if you will, those battle lines. Uh, 
um, as do I. And I think it's a situation fans could probably expect that the gloves will come off because we both have confidence in ourselves and our positions and in our friendship. And when, when the gloves come off and you're out in front of a crowd, and this is the thing that I think will be different. When we were doing Table for Three, there was we were on a set. There was a crew there. We weren't responding or feeling the audience. And I think when we get out in front of a live audience, yes, the gloves will come off. And as they do, and things escalate a little bit, the energy escalates, um, all of a sudden, you know, somebody's going to throw an elbow. And then when the elbows are, are done, you know, look for a knee or two. <laughs> My money's on Conrad throwing the first elbow. No, but he's a moderator. He can't really throw any elbows or knees. Now, he's going to ask tough questions because that's his nature, and that's what he does. And he spends a ton of time doing research. That's the strength of Conrad. It's one thing to go up and ask, you know, edgy questions and, you know, throw out a barb or two there in the form of a question. It's another thing to know what the hell you're talking about. And Conrad does. And he calls BS when he hears it. And he'll do that, I think, both to Bruce and and myself, and, and I have a lot of confidence in, in Conrad as a moderator because he's going to try to get the best out of both of us, and it's going to get tough. It really, really will. Um, when when Bruce and I are debating on the table for three, there was nobody really there to, to call us out on our nonsense. That was fun, and we were having a great time, but you know, I expect Thursday is going to be a little, little edgier. Uh, we now know that on Friday, you're going to be the first – you know, guest for the, the roast of Bruce Pritchard. Uh, we know you guys have been rivals for so many years and now become you know, such great friends. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, how, how you first met Mr. Pritchard? And more so, you know, how much are you looking forward to roasting his ass? Well, I know shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know some stuff. So, yeah, a roast is a good, that's a perfect place to bring it out. Uh, do you know of anybody else that's going to be in attendance? Can Are you allowed to stooge off anybody else that's going to be at the roast of Bruce Pritchard? You know, I haven't been following that. You know, Conrad called me and he said, hey, you know, what do you think? You up for it? I said, absolutely, I'm up for it. I have no idea who else is going to be on the panel, but I'm, I'm sure it's going to be. I, I look forward to that one. Maybe everybody but Bruce. <laughs> And then on Saturday, you are part of another panel with uh, R.D. Reynolds, the writer of The Death of WCW, former lead booker Kevin Sullivan, former front office man and manager of the greatest faction in professional wrestling history. Sorry, Eric. J.J. Uh, Dillon. And uh, this event is being hosted by David Pinzer. <laughs> the best wrestling faction of all time. I'm, I'm a horseman guy. I'm a horseman guy. Well, you're living, you've been living in a vacuum. <laughs> when was the last? When was the last time you went to a wrestling event and saw somebody wearing a Four Horsemen t-shirt? Okay, my favorite wrestling faction of all time. I'll rephrase. I'll rephrase. I'll I'll take that. Uh, My understanding is yourself and Mr. Reynolds have never actually spoke or met. Is that accurate? That is accurate. That is accurate. You know, he's, he's one of the writers. Him and Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez wrote that sewage, otherwise known as a book, you know, it's really sewage between two book covers. And I, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to eviscerating, you know, R.D. Reynolds in front of a group of people. I'm looking forward to listening to him trying to defend that, that 
garbage that he calls a book. You know, there, there is a great book out right now, and I'm not plugging the book because I have nothing to do with it. I'm not going to make a nickel on what I'm about to say. But there's a book out now called, you know, WCW Nitro, The Incredible Rise and the Inevitable Fall of Ted Turner's World Championship Wrestling. It's by a guy by the name of Guy, guy Evans. It came out a month or two ago. And when I first heard about his book, I just kind of oh, got it. Another guy who has absolutely no idea what really happened behind the scenes, you know, talking to wrestlers who had no idea what was really going on in the business side of of the business of professional wrestling, you know, listening to third hand rumors and gossip and all kinds of crap, you know, do we need another one of those books? And then I read the book and I realized that the author interviewed over 120 people. And not only did he interview 120 people, he identifies them and, and they're quoted in the book, uh, which is something that nobody else does because they're relying on rumors and innuendos. Mr. Pritchard likes to say. Um, but the author spoke to guys like Bill Burke, who was the president of TBS at the time, a guy by the name of Dick Cheatham, who worked for Turner Finance, who was there and really was in in the trenches and on the front lines of all of the financial implications of the AOL Turner Time Warner merger and who really know. I mean, I read the book and I went, wow, I didn't know that. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Joe Yuva who's quoted in the book. Joe Yuva is probably one of the most important people today in, in the in the television industry from an ad sales perspective who is willing to talk on record about what was going on you know, in the 90s, particularly with WCW. There was so much credible sourced information in that book that I'm telling you, I learned a lot reading that book. That's an example of what a book should be. And I mean, trust me, there were things in that book that I read about myself that I was uncomfortable with and I wish I wouldn't have had to read, but they were true, by the way. And that's cool, you know, but what, what Meltzer and Alvarez and R.D. Reynolds have written for so long now has been secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand innuendo and shit they just made up. So it's going to be really interesting to sit down with, with R.D. and listening to him defend the indefensible and try to justify the garbage that they call a book because it's not. Actually, the very next question I was going to ask you about was about the Nitro book by Guy Evans. So that was a great segue. Have you had an opportunity to talk to Mr. Evans since you read the book? I have not. Uh, you know what? I'd like to because I'd like to congratulate him personally on doing the work. And that's always been my my gripe with guys like you know Meltzer and Alvarez and R.D. Reynolds. Is they're just too freaking lazy to pick up the phone because it's work. You know, or go sit with somebody. You know, I, I read that Guy Evans at the end of his book, he he thanked a number of the people that were the notables, especially that he was able to interview. And he actually went, you know, to Bill Burke's home in Maine, you know, to sit down and interview him face to face. That's what an author should do if you're writing a book that defines, you know, an era or a, a book biography or a business that's the way a book should be written not you know sitting in front of your computer in your mother's basement you know typing up a bunch of crap that a wrestler who had no idea really what they're talking about you know told you was happening so it's it's going to be interesting guy no i haven't talked to guy but i i hope to meet him someday and i'd like to congratulate him in person that was another great segue you keep setting me up here it's fantastic uh one of it's what I do. One event that you're not advertised for, but I'm curious that if you have any desire to be in attendance for is the four star summit with Wade Keller, 
Bruce Mitchell, Brian Alvarez, and Dave Meltzer, well, I get the impression you have absolutely zero desire to hang out with these people. It has to be tempting to confront all four of them at once, right? I mean, I've been calling them out for 20 years. Um, I've been calling Dave Meltzer's bullshit for so long. It's, I can just, I can do it in my sleep. Um, I, so I have, you know, it's not like I'm going to go out of my way, uh, to do so. You know, I've got respect for Wade Keller. You know, Wade was a lot like Meltzer in the beginning. Uh, so much of what he wrote was editorializing and, you know, taking, uh, again, wrestlers that had their own agendas who were feeding them, them meaning guys like Wade and, and Meltzer at the time, feeding them bullshit that was somehow, you know, fulfilling an agenda that they thought they had or they did have. Um, and then guys like Meltzer repeating it as fact and, you know, referring to these quote unquote stooges as, you know, a well-placed source, for example, when really all they were were stooges with an agenda. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, am I looking forward to being in attendance? Um, probably like I'd like to be in attendance at a car wreck. You know, they're, they're always interesting to look at, to see who survives, um, see how bad the wreck is. But Will I go out of my way? No, I won't. Uh, just a couple final more, just a couple fun questions for you here, Mr. Bischoff. On our conference call the other day, someone asked you about the show being the elite. Of course, uh, Rick and I talk about the show frequently on the show here. You had said that you were going to watch some while you were down in Florida. I was curious if you had what you thought of the show. And secondly, what do you think of talent taking their own creative into their own hands in such a manner? I have not had a chance to watch it. When I was in Tampa, I was kind of running and gunning and didn't really get a chance to do anything other than what I was there to do, which was work. Uh, so I have not watched it. In terms of what do I think about, you know, talent taking it into their own hands, I think it's great, particularly in the case of Cody and in the Bucks. And, and um, I, think it's a, I think it's great. They're producing themselves. They know. Here's the great thing. You know that these guys are doing they know they've got a good feel for who they are and what they're building for themselves they know their audience and i think there's probably nobody better able to produce them or direct them uh than themselves so i, I i'm just i'm fascinated and amazed at what they're doing it's been very enjoyable mr bischoff thank you very much for joining us here on the hitting the marks pro wrestling podcast how do people get in touch with you on social media uh, the best way, and there are three of them, but, you know, I'm on Twitter, at E. Bischoff. I'm on Twitch pretty regularly, twitch.tv forward slash 83 weeks. And I'm spending more and more of my time at patreon.com forward slash 83 weeks. I don't play on Facebook. Um, I don't do Instagram much, but those are the best ways to reach me. You know, I find it fascinating that you said you said earlier you're not really a social butterfly, but I feel like you're more interactive with fans now than you ever have been in the past. Well, it's because it's easier now. I mean, I can, you know, sit at the bar inside my living room, you know, crack a beer, and turn on my laptop, and I can be on Twitch, be on Twitch, on Patreon, Patreon, I can from all over the world, we can chat live in real time. It's so easy. Twitter's easy. And I'm, I'm fascinated with community. I always have been. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was a kid growing up in Detroit, you know, when I was probably seven or eight years old, we had a next-door neighbor. It was a friend of my dad's, actually, who had a citizen's band radio. 
set up in his workroom. And I used to be fascinated as a young kid just sitting there, you know, listening to him because this was back in a day when, you know, all we had was dial phones, you know, mounted on the wall. And where I lived in Detroit, we actually had what they called a party line, which means, you know, six or eight people would actually share one phone line. So when I picked up the phone to call somebody, even in Detroit, which was a major city, um, there might have been somebody else on the line. I had to hang up and wait until they were done. So for me to be able to go next door to my friend's house or our neighbor's house and watch him, you know, just pick up a radio, you know, didn't even have to dial it, you just turn it on and be able to communicate with six or eight or ten or twenty different people, you know, in a, in a, in a geographic area. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Then when I got older, um, we moved to Minnesota. Actually, I was a teenager. I had another neighbor who was into ham radio, which is like a citizen band radio on a lot of steroids. Because he could literally get on that ham radio and have conversations with people in the Philippines or Japan or in Europe. You know, and, you, and this was back when, when I was a teenager, you know, a long distance phone call to your friends in Detroit would, you know, would cost you $3 a minute. This guy could literally get on his radio and speak to people all over the world. Fascinated me. You know, cut to now where we are with Twitch and with other platforms. I can literally interact like I am with you live with hundreds of fans, thousands of fans at the same time. And, and chat with them in real time, all at the same time. People in Sweden, you know, I get on Twitch and I'm having people saying hello from the UK, from South Africa, from Australia, you know, here in the States, obviously, Canada, Alaska. And it's easy and it's free and it's fun. So it's it's not that I enjoy it more now, it's just that it's so much easier now. It's amazing. And that's kind of the thing that's made all in really what it is because everybody can just come together on these social platforms and via the distribution over the internet, the communications over the internet, the talent are more in touch with other talent. Hell, we've got talent coming in from Mexico, from Japan, from Canada, from the United States. There's no other way that all of this could be happening other than the technology that we are using today. Mr. Bischoff, thank you so much for joining us today. Been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Again, Mr. Bischoff, thank you for your time. This has just been an absolute, you know, a privilege and an honor. And I'm so, I'm so looking forward to actually, you know, hopefully getting to meet you uh, in Chicago. See you in Chicago. All right.